Hi everyone and thank you so much for tuning into Grow With Grief, a podcast that aims to make the uncomfortable comfortable and open up the conversations around grief and loss. My name is Katrina and together we will be hearing different stories from different people, how grief has impacted their life and what they've learned from it. And together we will create a community that normalizes the conversations around grief and loss. So hello Mel, thank you so much for coming on um, to speak on this podcast. I'm really appreciative that you're here to share your journey. From what I know of you so far, you've had um, a lot of experiences in life and you've done some incredible things to share those experiences with other people and the lessons that you've taken from them. So um, for anybody that doesn't know you, uh, would you be able to just give a quick overview of your life? and how you've come to where you are today. Snapshot <laughs> of, yeah, thanks Katrina. Thanks so much for having me. I am so grateful to have this time with you and to be on and to share. Um, I find this topic and this whole podcast that you've created, first and foremost, um, growing from grief is very relevant and very necessary and very valuable. So thank you so much for thinking of me and putting me on. Um, I'm really excited for what we're gonna discuss but a little bit about me for your audience and your community that uh, don't know me. Um, I'm just kind of an average girl in Melbourne, <laughs> but um, have been through kind of a lot in my 30 years. I suppose growing up, I grew up in a small town called Patterson Lakes in Victoria. It's along near just the entrance to the Mornington Peninsula, which is predominantly quite a Western town. It is very keeping up with the Joneses. It kind of reminds me of home and away and everyone here, you know, we've got beautiful lakeside views. We've got palm trees, we've got yachts. Um, we are very, very privileged and it's a great place to grow up in. However, for me growing up back in the nineties, I really struggled with cultural identity because it was such a predominantly Western world. I grew up as one of the only Chinese families that had migrated here and um, started building over here. So that led to very early on sort of just identity issues or challenges of wanting to fit in and denying myself of uh, being Chinese. I was not proud to be Chinese, although it's something that I just am now when I realized like in terms of growing up. Uh, so I tried to hide a lot of that culture and only spoke English, even though I am bilingual and can speak fluent Cantonese. But these were sort of some of the challenges I had when I grew up. My parents divorced when I was very young. Uh, I was three and my brother was five. And through that, my mum moved to Sydney because my stepdad got a job as a chef at Star Casino over there. So she ended up moving across to Sydney. And as a very young kid, it's I really struggled with the separation because not only was it like quite a physical distance separation uh moving from Mel like between Melbourne and Sydney it's also like no one no one explained to me what was going on I think that was the hardest thing when I look at um my parents divorce uh my mum or my dad didn't really communicate to us kids about what was going on so a lot of it felt like if we were to make up reasons or find an answer ourselves it was it was that it was our fault and um, so I carried a lot of that with me growing up and 
I still managed to do quite well at school. I performed quite well. And then in my young adult life, moving straight from being uh, out of high school into university, I studied psychology. So I got into Monash Clayton and I studied psychology. This is, we're coming up to, I was 18, uh, 2008, 2009. Uh, And I fell in love. I fell head over heels in love with my partner at the time, Angus McIntosh. And we were just freshly 18 and it's that time where you experiment, you know, when you're coming out of high school, I think it's that time where you, you're taking risks and you're learning so much about who you are and your friendships and what it means like to find your place in the world. And I think when I fell in love at that time, it was such a beautiful time that I'll always treasure because of how significant just that period of life is. And so as a young adult, Gus and I ended up doing the firsts of everything together. Uh, we we um, went overseas for the first time together. We moved out and built our first sort of home together in Clayton as well. We bought our first cars together and, you know, went through the journey of getting our licenses together. Uh, yeah, everything was for the first time as well. And that heightened that relationship. The relationship was not without flaws. Uh, we were extremely young and very emotional. I think, mm-hmm. I think Gus, is, <laughs> he's a very, he's a rock star. And when he's high, he's high. But when he's low, he was quite low. And that came through his own family upbringing, his own challenges as a young adult as well. But we did, we would fight a lot. And, but then we would make up just as quickly as the fights came sort of thing. So it was in a way a little bit toxic and unhealthy, but it was really, really intense love. I can't stress enough how much we, we loved throughout that time and how much passion there was in that six years of our relationship. Unfortunately, uh, January, 2014, I came home to uh, Gus's, there's not even any, like, I'm choking and I speak about this all the time. Um, I came home to Gus having hung himself in our garage. There's really no simple way to really put it, but Gus died by suicide uh, and it really shook my world. Uh, Everything that I had known ceased to exist in one night and in one moment and I guess why we've come connected or what I'm doing now is a lot of that at 23 years old having gone through such a traumatic event has really shaped now my passion purpose and message uh, and why I can and choose to continue to speak about this because it is such a relevant topic for anyone, you don't know when suicide or when grief and loss is going to hit you until it does. And the best thing that we can do, hopefully, is help people prepare for that inevitable suffering that we are going to go through. Maybe not as, maybe not as intense or as traumatic or as um, crushing as a suicide. But definitely, I think we can all say that we've all gone through some sort of grief, loss or suffering and loss of a relationship. So, yeah, I continue to 
um, I continue to learn more about grief as I do these podcasts or as I'm tuning in and having these conversations or as I retell my story in a slightly different way, because as I'm evolving my meaning and the stories that I attach to my love with Angus changes as well a little bit or tweaks um, as I grow older. And, but it definitely shows up in a lot of my adult relationships now and how I identify with the world and where my place is. So yeah, I've, I've really come a long way from a place of pain. I've really come a long way being that 23 year old girl that found her partner die in their family home, but it hasn't been, yeah, it hasn't been all roses and butterflies. And now I'm just living a passionate life of purpose. It's been an incredible journey to say the least. Wow. Uh well, firstly, thank you for being so honest and sharing that. I know speaking about these experiences can sometimes bring up and often bring up a lot of emotions. And like you say, you've spoken about it so many times, but you're still, it's still hard yeah. to get those words out. Um, and I think that your story and where you've been and the fact that you're so honest about how it hasn't just been all roses you didn't just kind of accept it and then now you're doing all these wonderful things it's been a journey to get to where you are now and you're still learning and growing you're extremely inspiring I think you're absolutely amazing so uh, thank you for sharing that um what was your expectation or understanding of grief and loss prior to you experiencing it I mean I know you will have experienced a sense of it when your parents divorced but then once your partner had uh, committed suicide, how did you expect to feel the way you felt or was it a bit of a shock? Um, it was completely a shock. I had, I've never experienced any sort of death. I'd had no death in my family or no distant friend or a great, great grandmother, nothing like that to even buffer or prepare me for such a significant loss, like the loss of a partner. Um, not that there's, you know, what's more significant than the other, but I think when it, when it's someone that you are so closely attached to and you build such a close life with your identity almost becomes a part, you know, it's incredibly ingrained in that person as well. So my understanding of grief and loss prior to that first experience of death was very limited in a sense that it was very textbook. I had mentioned that I studied psychology. So in psych and at uni, you do learn a unit of grief and loss and you kind of, it's a, a lot of it is very theory based. So I'm very blessed that I even had that experience though, because I think if I didn't have prior reading or knowledge of understanding the five stages of grief or the seven stages of grief, we can dive down, you know, a little bit about the stages, but um, it, it was like, that was what I had to know. But then when, when the death happened every like there was no manual and there was no textbook that was going to be able to save me from the pain that i had to endure uh when you go through grief and loss i think now with the experience of it you just have like it feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel it really does once you when you're in it but you just have to feel it like you you got to go through all of it because to distract yourself or to 
run away from that grief and loss and pain, I think ends up being much more destructive when that pain has nowhere to go. When you don't have a release, it's a lot more difficult to then contain. Uh, in the short term, you might feel like you're doing okay because you're masking it, but I think you gotta you gotta cry. It's not even you gotta cry. You gotta express it in however you express grief and loss. Everyone's very unique and different, but I think if you don't release it in whatever healthiest way you can, you're gonna do an injustice to yourself um, moving forward, and you really there's no other way other than to process it. And I've lived in it. I know it's gross and I know it's icky and I know it's really uncomfortable and it, it physically hurts grief and loss. <laughs> it, it's not just an emotional mental thing. It physically produces symptoms of like, I described, I've described it once as like, I, I feel like I know what it feels like to be shot you know, cause it's that painstaking heartache that you can go through. But if you don't allow yourself to go through it and if you don't allow yourself to process and that healing just won't come. So yeah, it was completely different to what I expected. And now with hindsight, I know how long that journey or not, but how long for me that journey takes. Yeah. And as you say, it's, it's not five stages really it's Mm -hmm. not that textbook journey and it's probably a journey that you're going to be on for the rest of your life um maybe not as um predominant or blaringly obvious but it's still there and you're still moving through it and growing through it so what if you don't mind me asking what were the emotions that you felt how did you cope with it initially did you cope with it initially or did it take a while to get to that point I like to think that I coped as best as I could with the skills that I had at the time. And for me, that naturally became the carer in my social circle and my group. Um, I think that was just a default or a defense or a way that I just coped growing up as well. So with my parents' divorce or like with the bullying, how I coped with adversity was I just cared or poured love into others a lot more. Like it was, that's just, yeah, what I did as a nurturer because I probably felt I never got that or that's something that I really needed as a little girl or a kid. And so instead of um, receiving it, I just gave it and put it out. So when Gus passed away, I was very much the mother of my um, social group. A bombshell had hit our community. It was not only I that was affected, Gus's parents were affected, cousins, family, friends, you know, um, it just heaps of people, like it was a ripple effect of people that were affected. So I think what I did was try and just make sure everyone else was okay. And in doing that, it may probably just, like I said, deflected me not being okay. Uh, I just looked after everyone else. And so that was my coping mechanism initially. But then after the funeral, so like that was the first two weeks. 10 days. And then after the funeral, I think that's when it really began. Like I hadn't felt anything prior. It was all just kind of nothing, Mm -hmm. a blur. But then after the funeral and when the dust sort of settled and when people started going back to work and when, um, you know, life went on, uh, that's when it really started to affect me personally because my life wasn't returning to normal. I wasn't going back to work 
the next week, you know, I took a significant amount of time off work and uh, from my studies and from what I wanted to do. Uh, and that's when the, probably like the confusion and the sadness and the depression really started. And it was because I had like, I just had no routine. Like I had lost this sense of routine. So how I coped, I just, well, I didn't really, I kind of would just wear his clothes around the house and um, watch his favorite movies. It was a process that needed to happen. I was mourning, but I think living in the same household, that was the first step that I had to do. And everyone kind of slowly started to recognize that I had to get out of that house. Um, the life that I had built with him, but finding him all of that and staying in that house was not going to serve me anything positive other than, you know, just continue to be reliving in this traumatic phase, which is not really healthy. So after that, and actually starting to implement those things like moving out, breaking the lease and finding a new place to rent, that was when I think I managed it a little bit better in terms of, um, moving, moving forward, not moving on, moving forward. And that was still, you know, within the first year, there's not really moving forward, but at least I was starting to just make sure that I was removing myself from anything that was going to hurt me and harm me in that way. Uh, I think something that's really important to mention would be having a really strong support network. Without a support network, I wouldn't have gotten through it. I'm very blessed and privileged that I was able to grieve in a sense, but I still had people that really, really showed care and love for me. Uh, no matter what, there was always someone that checked in, um, someone that knocked on my door with a food hamper, um, someone with a gift card or just sending a text message or giving a video call. There was always someone there. And at the time I might not have been very receiving of it I was like I'm good like it's fine don't worry about me I don't need your sympathy essentially but now looking back without that strong some support network and community I would not have been able to go through what I went through and still be okay about it all um remaining engaged within your community don't isolate yourself if you're going through grief it might feel like no one understands you, but the more that you can share your story and the more that you can just like talk about how shit things are, it's, it's a healing process and it just helps you keep connected to what's real and what's really important. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I can definitely relate to the, everybody else's life seems to be going back to normal. Why is my life not going back to normal? And you know, these people, that, that unfortunately we, we've lost they're such a big part of our lives and it feels it doesn't feel right to be moving on without them but we have to we haven't got a choice and it can be so hard to see other people getting back into those normal routines and um you feel I mean, like you're I remember I remember I'll just tell you a quick story I remember when I went to fill up my car at a petrol station and that's a very normal everyday thing. And I remember the guy just genuinely was like, how are you as his customer service? And I was so pissed off that he had asked me like how I am because I just wanted to like break down and, you know, cry and be like, actually, I'm really shit. And this has just happened. And like, I don't like, 
I don't want everyone like right now walking around the shops and like filling up their gas station to, I want them to know that it's not okay right now. Like life isn't okay. And I just remember feeling that sense of like, why is everyone, why is everyone else good? Like, do you not understand that my world has been turned upside down? And um, yeah, I think finally realizing that it's, it's not going to serve you anymore. Or it's not going to give you any more positivity if you just continue to lament in that sorrow. And like what you just said, like as much as we don't want to, because these people played such an important part of our lives. If you asked yourself honestly and truthfully, would they, would they be happy seeing you in that sad and negative state or despair? Like, or would they want you to smile again? Or would they want you to find love again? Or would they want you to just, you know, be able to do the things that they might not have been able to do now. I think if you can ask yourself honestly that and have an answer that in your heart of hearts, know that moving forward and being happy is something that they would want. You can release yourself from some of that guilt. Mm, Definitely. Because you do get guilt for feeling that way. Um, And that's not to say that you, you shouldn't grieve them. You shouldn't feel upset or angry, but it's, it's knowing that it's also okay to continue with the things that you want to do in your life, to continue um, growing and moving forward and with the things that maybe you were meant to do with them by your side. Mm-hmm. And it, but it's okay to do that and still feel those happy emotions and sad emotions. And I think the first time you do feel those happy emotions, you're right there's a sense of like, I should not even be feeling this. And then you feel so guilty for feeling it. And then you almost take yourself back to a state of despair or negativity or like um, anguish or depression. But that's like, there's no right or wrong, you know, and that is not helpful for you. Like we bring it back and it's, we, there's a saying that misery loves company. It, It is that it's like, we end up getting hooked on the sadness as well when it's like, you can, you can get hooked on the happiness. You can move and try and get some more happier uh, endorphins or like some more happier memories coming through and finally just letting yourself off the hook, like giving yourself so much less judgment for that so that you can grieve in whatever way you want. But yeah, letting yourself off the hook and smiling and laughing and having a joke, it's okay because you're still very much alive. A part of you may have died, but you, this new you that's in today and tomorrow and the future, it's very much alive and you should, yeah, you should, you owe it to yourself to feel a little bit of happiness. Mm, Definitely. And when you were saying that, I remembered something that I felt on um, my first mother, I think it was maybe like the third or fourth mother's day without my mum. And I remember actually forgetting that it was Mother's Day and feeling so guilty because I felt that I should have been using that time to remember her and to have those memories. And I didn't. But as you say, you let yourself off the hook. It doesn't mean that you don't love that person anymore. It doesn't mean that you don't miss them. It just means that you've, you've found a way to move through those feelings mm-hmm. of despair and pain. Um, yeah. So, of course, um, the loss of, of Gus was very traumatic for you. Um, in terms of the grief and loss that you felt when your parents divorced, could you maybe speak a little bit about that? 
The yeah, so grief and loss doesn't have to be death. I think death is a huge part where grief and loss shows, but grief and loss shows up in loss of relationships uh, and loss of identity as well. And they are very different. And I went through them in different stages of my life. So the divorce, I was so young that I don't even know if I would have known it was grief or loss. It's only now as a healthy adult and a conscious adult that I've been able to make sense of my past. And that comes with going to therapy, reading self-help discovery books, learning more about psychology. There's so much of that now that I've been able to come to peace and calm with my past and that loss. But I think I was grieving the loss and the divorce of my parents. And it came out in like reckless disregard for um, my own life. At times as a teenager, I was I was a brat. Like I was, I did rebel. I wasn't um, always, you know, proper, (laughs) but um, I think that was my way of like, I was so independent, but it was a a shout or like a scream at wanting that attention that I craved from my parents and I didn't get. Uh, So that's how I dealt with that sort of grief and loss without even being conscious of it. I think sometimes we can find ourselves going through things, but unless we turn the self-awareness light switch on sort of thing, you're kind of just doing things and you don't really question what you're doing or you're completely unaware of the reason or the why or the layers underneath your actions. And so digging into that really, really helped me understand my place in the world. It really helped me um, in hindsight now look back and find forgiveness for that little girl who was just lashing out or that little girl who just needed love. But now as a healthy adult, I can give that back to her. And I've made a lot of peace with that. And then as, as Gus was, Gus's death was a little bit later on in my life, but still very early on in um, at 23, I also had to go back now and forgive myself for not knowing what I didn't know back then. I really held on to a lot of that if only I was there, maybe, you know, if only I rang the phone, if only I gave him a text that morning, what could have broken his train of thought? Um, I had been there when he had had previous attempts or um, if there were signs of a previous attempt, I would read the signs and the cues and there would be an ambulance or something like that. So the when he did die by suicide, I held on to a lot of that and blamed myself for a lot of it. And some of my, you know, community or like people that didn't really understand also blamed me for it. And I felt it. Uh, A lot of people just in passing would be like, but you lived with him. So why, like what happened? And like, why didn't you know? Or like what was going on? Cause there must've been something wrong with the relationship if he did this. And there was a lot of just, I think unconscious or like lack of compassion or understanding. They just wanted to, humans want an answer. And when suicide can't give you an answer, uh, you're left to kind of just make things up in your own head. So people came up to their own conclusions and things like that. So yeah, I think going back and looking back into that journey and able to forgive myself that as a 23 year old, my psychologist would say, how would you know all this at 23? Like, let you know, let yourself off the hook, get, uh, you know, step out of that judgment. You only knew what you knew then. And if it was 
the type of love that you knew then how like you can't you could have only loved him you can't save him you couldn't have saved him from all the demons in his head and this is specific uh to suicide but i mean with any other grief and loss like we can grieve and go we didn't spend enough time with the person that we've lost or i shouldn't have done you know had those fights with with my mom i was so immature i should have just spent that time loving them how are you meant to know what the future was going to hold? How are you meant to know that the last time was going to be the last time? You, you don't. So let, like, don't feel the guilt that you didn't live as presently with that person. You did the best that you could with the skills that you had. That's beautiful. <laughs> um, beautiful advice. And it kind of leads on to the question I was going to ask you next. Um, but what have your biggest lessons been that you've taken from your grief and loss? And what did that give you? You've obviously done a lot of self-reflection and I think that's so important. And it's um, something that again, you continue to do through your life, but what is the, if there is the biggest lesson, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned? My biggest lesson and a lot is pain is purpose you know, you can, you can transform your pain and turn it into your purpose. And what I mean by purpose is, I mean, your intentions for life and how you want to serve the world. And I would not have, I just would not have understood or had this real deep connection to what I want from life if I didn't go through an experience with death and at the age that I did. And that is my biggest lesson in the sense that it it shapes everything that I do now not saying like oh yeah Gus's suicide has like was necessary to happen so that I could live my life not in that sense but because I went through that he does live through every almost thought action belief to what I do now he shows up in many ways um that I would not have expected I live a life just super consciously now I have very conscious conversations. I'm, I'm very intentional with who my relationships are. And I think I wouldn't have been able to develop such a strong sense of the world and my identity without that loss. Honestly, I wouldn't have, it's a blessing in disguise. I didn't see it back then. And I, for, for many, many nights I cried for many nights, I collapsed on bathroom floors and just hated my story. I hated having gone through something and that person leaving me, I had such huge abandonment issues, not only from like my parents, but with this that showed up then in my relationships, every guy that I um, started to try and be intimate with after Gus, I had this ethos that everybody leaves, you know? And I was just like, well, you know, it didn't work out because I'm, you know, everybody leaves and I'm fine on my own. I'm a strong, independent girl. But, but now like, because of that, I I take more risks as well. Like I still haven't given up on love. I'm still very hopeful when it comes to finding love. And I think he would really want that too. I think I know that he would really love for someone else to be able to share who I am with the world and experience memories and make new memories. And I, I truly do believe that there are, there are many times where I, I am reflecting, like you said, and I can, I can feel that energy of just acceptance from 
from him and from me. So that's my biggest, my biggest lesson. Pain is purpose. If you are going through pain, like channel it. Another, another thing that um, I'm sure you've heard me say, but like your mess is your message and never shy away from that. If you've gone through a significant loss or grief or heartache or broken relationship, there's something in there that you can take into your le- learnings and your life and um, apply it so that you can be a better you. There really is. And it, 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 it's just your perspective on it. You can, you can have a chip on your shoulder and hate on the world because the world's done you wrong or you can wake up and say the world doesn't owe me anything, so I'm going to go out and take control of my life. Wow. Um, yeah, as you say, the, the, our past, it shapes us, but it doesn't have to define us. And I think it's so interesting that, that's your biggest lesson as I had this, I actually had this conversation with my dad last week where that was his biggest lesson from his, his experience with grief and loss. And I think it's so important to know that you can find beauty within it somewhere. Um, I think it's a Dumbledore quote. I don't know if you're a Harry Potter fan, but yes. a Dumbledore quote. Back, is it the light one? Yes. The light is the <laughs> yes you can find light if only you're willing to switch on the light or something um we're paraphrasing here sorry (laughs) something like that but it's such a it's so true and I think for all experiences in life not just grief and loss to have that perspective where you can find something beauty or a lesson to take from it and move forward with it is so so important and for so long I held a chip on my shoulder and you know my experience of grief and loss was very different to yours is very different to yours but I held that chip on my shoulder as if to say well as if the world owed me something because I had dealt with this I had been through this and I never should have had to and why did nobody else have to deal with this and then once you reach that stage of acceptance it doesn't have to be something you like. I don't think you're ever going to like it, but you're able to then see the lessons that you've taken from it and how it shaped you into the person that you are today and what you can give to others and how you can give to yourself as well. Yeah. And exactly what you just said, it's acceptance is just accepting what is. You don't have to like it. You don't have to, you know, have an, it is just, it is what it is. And you, you start looking at it a little bit more objectively and less subjectively. You don't take it too personally, you know, when think like, I think when you, you like what you said, you have a chip on your shoulder or like this happened to me, you're so looking in just one lens like it's just this is what's happened to me 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 it's the ego talking that it's the ego that's hurt but then when you can kind of like look out and put external energy and perspective into it and realize just how great and big the world is you it's a sense of relief because you find one of my biggest tips for coming through grief and loss was I used to just look up at the sky and the moment that I would look up at the sky, whether it was stars in the, um, in the nighttime or clouds in the daytime, it made me feel insignificant. And not that that's like, yeah, cool. I felt, but it was like, 
I'm just an ant in this great big world. And in that insignificance is significance, you know, like not, not everything that you think is on your shoulders and that you're hurting. When you look up into the sky and realize just how grand the sky is, I think your problems feel a little like just at ease for a moment because when we are looking so inward, it can, it can literally suffocate us and drown us. So if you could say anything to, I guess there's two parts to this question, say anything to somebody who is currently grieving right now and experiencing grief and loss right now, what would that be? And the second part is, what would you say to somebody who is wanting to maybe support someone who's going through grief and loss? Yeah. So if you are the one going through it, allow yourself to feel everything that you need to feel. I think it's really important to never deny yourself of whatever feeling it is that you're going through. I've had friends that over the same loss, uh, one of my best friends, she could not cry. She just couldn't seem to cry uh, about Gus passing away, although she felt like that was how she needed to grieve. But just feel what it is. If it's numbness, feel the numbness. If it is anger, like just go be angry and, you know, scream into a pillow, release whatever it is. It doesn't have to be tears. It doesn't have to be sadness. Just feel what it is that you need to feel and never deny yourself of those emotions. Also a simple research in this, you will find out that there is no timeline. So stuff, whatever expectations that you have on yourself or society has on you and just grieve. And if that takes longer than what is socially acceptable, go do that because there is no time limit. There's no social acceptance. Everyone grieves and heals in a different way. Your relationship to the person that you have lost is your relationship. It's so unique. Even if it was like, for example, you said with your mom, your dad's grief should be different because your dad's relationship with your mother was very different to your relationship with your mother and a friend and a cousin. And that relationship is so uniquely yours. No one can replace that relationship. So why do you think that you would go through the same grieving process as someone else? It's just going to be completely different. So yeah, don't expect that there is a timeline, do it in on your own terms. And the second answer would be for someone that is trying to just be a support network or a friend or doesn't seem to know what to do my best advice would be just to give compassion. Uh, Don't try and take control or don't try and change. Don't try and um, give advice even. It's just have compassion for someone. And what I mean by that is maybe just sitting with them. I know it can be uncomfortable, but sitting them with them while they're crying or sitting with them while they don't even want to talk to you. I think your presence is more than enough for someone that is going through grief. I know that I didn't need answers from anyone. I didn't need anyone to really like motivate me to do better or anything, but their, their company by just sitting and that energy exchange doing not much, it could be just watching a movie in silence. You know, it could be just, 
on your phone or reading a magazine, whatever. You don't even have to have a conversation. But I think that company is really, really important because it shows, it shows someone that you're there and you care. And when they want to reach out and when they're ready to talk and when they're ready to maybe understand and process and have someone else give them advice, you can be there. So just being there with someone. <laughs> really, really good advice. And what do you think? I think like having gone through yours. Yeah. So um for somebody who is trying to support someone who's going through grief and loss, I would probably say similar. Um sometimes for me the most damaging thing was when people tried to offer me advice. Yeah. Because I sat there and I just thought, you don't get to tell me how I should feel or that my mom would want me to be happy. I, I need to feel the way I feel. Um, so having that network around me that would just sit and watch a film with me or um, one of my friend's mom, she used to just let me come over for a cup of tea. Like we didn't even do anything. We just, I just went for a cup of tea and then I left. And there's nothing a cup of tea can't fix. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So um, yeah, just being there and also not being afraid of saying the person's name. Um, mm. Because when you for, for people who maybe are on the outside of a situation perhaps they've never experienced grief and loss either i i got the sense that sometimes they'd avoid mentioning the name because they did not want to upset me but in it's fact like the elephant in the room yes it is yeah yeah and like you know it's there you know you know the name you know that you're thinking about it so why not just address it yeah, yeah. Exactly. And sometimes by avoiding that makes you feel like they're forgetting that person almost. And you want to talk about that person sometimes. Mm -hmm. So um, that would be for people who are supporting um, mm -hmm. someone. But for anybody who is experiencing grief and loss, my biggest piece of advice would be to accept the way that you feel and not feel bad about it I when I was experiencing it that for the first until my mom's funeral I didn't cry mm -hmm. um and even then I didn't really for a few months afterwards and I had this overwhelming sense of like you say, like I should be doing this. I should be crying. Everyone else around me is upset and crying. Why am I not? Um, and that actually, that pressure I put on myself led to a lot of my depression. It led to, I actually had several attempts on my own life. And I think that that was all cultivated from the fact that I put so much pressure on myself to feel a certain way. So mm -hmm. to allow yourself to feel how you feel and to not put your pressure, not to put pressure on yourself um, because everybody else around you is reacting in the way you think is normal, I guess. Yeah. It's kind of no, similar. 
Yeah, no, very similar. I know. And that's why it's really important to talk about the grief because grief will show up and you, you use your own words to articulate it, but that might be the golden nugget or the, the real juice of something that takes someone else takes on and learns. So it's really important to share those perspectives because what resonates with you will really resonate with another listener. And maybe something I've said might resonate with some, a different listener. So, yeah, I always like to ask, obviously, swapped, swapped interview to me interviewing you. <laughs> no, I liked it. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Um, so is there anything else that you would like to add? Is there anything else that you feel is really important to share um, on this topic before we come to the end? Mm-hmm. Um, now you put me on the spot. <laughs> Um, I think remaining, really remaining hopeful, wherever it is that you're on your journey, I'm not going to pretend to know where you're at. I'm not going to pretend to understand that what you're going through isn't hard or, um, you know, causing you immense pain or anxiety or stress or pressure, but remain hopeful in that better days are coming. I think for me, how I was able to overcome a lot of those mental health challenges and get through those really dark days with my own suicide attempt, just the one, was believing that this wasn't it, that I still had more to experience. I still had more love to give. I still had more to share with the world. And if you can just hold on to that little tiny silver lining of hope that better days are coming, you will get through these dark days. Just like everything else, nothing is permanent. You know, change is the only thing that is permanent in life and everything else is just fleeting. Your emotions are fleeting. These moments that keep passing us by, you will look back and it'll be a milestone in your life or like something that you've overcome but you won't feel that immense pain anymore. So just give yourself some time, give yourself some distance and don't lose faith, don't lose hope. I think that's a really important message for anyone that's especially feeling suicidal. Hold on to whatever silver lining it is because tomorrow you get a chance to do it again and you might get a chance to do it right. So just sleep a little, you know, rest, pause, but um, don't lose hope. Well, Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you taking your time and sharing this conversation. And I know that there's a lot of people out there who will have taken so many tools and insights from that, just as I have. Um, And I'm excited to see what else you do in the future. And just before we go, if you can share how people can connect with you, I know you've just released your own podcast, which is amazing. So if you want to share some details about that, yeah, thank you so much. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I love conversations where I can exit and feel empowered. And I hope that your listeners, I can't wait to share this with my community as well. Because um, I think there's a lot of just real genuine advice there that take what you will and throw out the rest. Um, but how to stay connected with me, I'm most uh, social on Instagram. Instagram is at Mallyu, M-E-L-L-I-E-Y-U. And like you just said, I've just started my new podcast. It's called The Authentic Me Podcast. It's all about authentic storytelling and story sharing. Uh, so have a look at that. My first episode was released last week and um, it will be a fortnightly release or it seems that I might just do it whenever I want actually (laughs) because um I'm really you know I'm in that 
flow stage. So yeah, connect with me on the Authentic Me podcast. You can find it on um, all your podcasting platforms as well. But yeah, connect with me mainly, I'd say Instagram, but if you just search up Facebook, LinkedIn, I'm on there as well. Amazing. Thank you. And everybody needs to listen to your podcast because the first episode is amazing. Absolutely loved it. Um, so thank you so much for hopping on and chatting. And thank you to everybody who is listening in. Make sure that you like, subscribe, share and have a wonderful day. Thank you. See ya. Thank you. Bye. If you enjoyed listening to today's episode, please don't forget to like, share and subscribe. I invite you to also come and be a part of the community by connecting with us on Instagram at Grow With Grief. Before we go, I want to take the time to thank you. Thank you for tuning in and being part of a community that opens conversation, raises awareness and brings individual perspectives and stories to the forefront of a topic that is often avoided and treated as uncomfortable. The conversations that we have may sometimes bring your own emotions, memories and triggers to the surface and I want to encourage you to know that you are not alone. If you or anyone you care for is in need of support, please reach out to your local support line or if you are in Australia, you can contact Griefline by phone on 1300 845 745 who are available from midday to 3am every day.